Up in the morning and out to school The teacher is teaching the golden rule American history and practical man You study him hard and hoping to pass Working your fingers right down to the bone Hello, everyone. This is Leigh Hameson. And this is Carol Burris. Welcome, everyone, to our new show, Talk Out of School, where we'll focus on issues affecting public schools here in New York City, the state level, and nationally. We want to begin, however, by remembering that today is 9-11, and a very tragic day for the nation, and especially the city, where we still have emergency responders that are dying from the toxicity that was released on that day and afterwards. I personally will never forget that day. I saw both towers collapse from my kitchen. I live downtown, and it's just still an indelible memory um, that I will never forget. What about you, Carol? What are your memories of that day? It was just a horrible day for me, Lainey. It was my second year as a high school principal, and on that day, staff members lost spouses, we had staff members who lost children, and then, of course, many of our students lost their parents who worked at Cantor Fitzgerald. So it, um, I s- still think about uh, everyone on that day, and uh, I agree with you. It is a horrific memory, and all of the survivors deserve our support. So uh, we're very excited about our new uh, show. We'd like to hear from our listeners about what issues you want us to address in the future. Uh, please visit the Class Size Matters Facebook page to add your thoughts, or we have a new Instagram page for Talk Out of School or through Twitter at hashtag Talk Out of, the, out of School. For the next hour, we're going to focus, though, on school integration and the new proposals from the School Diversity Advisory Group to transform gifted and talented programs in New York City elementary schools that have stirred up so much controversy. Here in the studio, we have Shino Tanakawa, a New York City parent who's a member of that group, who will talk about their proposals, and later we'll bring in two high school students from the group Teens Take Charge. Uh, who'll call in a little later. We also want you, our uh, listeners, to call in at the break at 212-209-2877. Before we talk about today's show, Lainey, 
why don't you tell our listeners just a little bit about yourself, how you got involved in education advocacy, and what you're working on now. Uh, thanks, Carol. Well, um, I first got involved in specifically in the issue of class size when my daughter was in first grade, and a nearby school had to fire a teacher, and the parents came in and offered to pay for her salary. It, it, it caused a huge controversy across the city, and at that time I learned two things that I didn't know, that New York City had by far the largest class sizes in the state, and that class size was strongly linked to student success, especially for disadvantaged kids and kids of color. And before then, I thought, oh, we, we just don't know how to improve in res results in New York City schools. But at that point, I learned very clearly that we do know, and we just didn't have the political will to do anything about it. Um, we'll talk more about class size next week. I'm going to have Wendy Lecker, an attorney who's filed a lawsuit against the city and the state on behalf of nine uh, public school parents on the issue of class size, but I just wanted to touch on another issue that I've gotten involved in more recently, student privacy. Um, I co-chair a national group called the Parent Coalition for Student Privacy, and we work for stronger protections on student, student data for to keep it private and secure across the country. Uh, most recently, um, we pushed in 2014, actually, a um, number of years ago for a stronger student privacy law in New York. And after almost five years, the state education department has finally gotten a red, uh, around to issuing proposed regulations on that law. And one of the things they recommend um, is that schools and their vendors will be allowed to sell student, student data and use it for commercial purposes, and even though the law clearly prohibits that. So on our blog, New York City Public School Parents, we have more about that issue and how you can send a message to state ed and the Board of Regents to urge them not to allow the selling of personal student data and its use for marketing purposes, which, by the way, the state law clearly prohibits. Um, the deadline for this is September 16th. We really want you to get involved in this issue. And again, if you go to my blog, uh, New York City Public School Parents, you can see more about why this, uh, this uh, loophole was created specifically for the College Board and the ACT that sells student data for millions of dollars. Carol, can you talk a little bit about how you got involved in the issue of education advocacy? Sure, sure. Um, thanks, Lainey. My passion is public education. It always has been. I was a public school parent of three daughters. I was a school board member for three years, a teacher at the middle and high school, and finally, uh, for 15 years, I was a high school principal at Southside High School on Long Island. And throughout those years, I was always an advocate for um, equity, especially in the high school that I ran. And what happened was in came race to the top and the evaluation of teachers by test scores and lots of other horrible things like the Common Core. And I suddenly realized how all of the good work that we had been doing for all of our kids could suddenly fall apart. Um, it was pretty traumatic. And uh, I tried my best to uh, fight the good fight. Um, but finally, when I reached the age of 62 and I was able to retire, I did. And at that point in time, um, the Network for Public Education and Diane Ravitch, who's the president of that organization, Laney, you're on the board, um, tapped me on the shoulder and said, how about being our executive director? And um, that's what I've done ever since. I'm the executive director for the Network for Public Education, 
uh, which is a 501c3, and also for the Network for Public Education Action, which is a 501c4 and can be a little bit more involved in lobbying and endorsement of candidates. And um, my passion has become stopping school privatization, and that means stopping the spread of charters um, as well as the spread of vouchers, um, high-stakes testing, and uh, we work on it all the time. And uh, as the weeks go by, I'll not only speak on this program about local issues, but also about some national issues as well. So I, I just, uh, Carol is being somewhat modest here. She was principal of the year more than once across the state. She was highly uh, acclaimed as a terrific principal. And she led um, something, uh, a real campaign against teacher evaluation best based on test scores, wrote a letter and a petition that was signed by thousands of other principals and teachers, which really had, I think, an effect on how we've moved forward on this issue. Um, the other day, Carol, um, to move towards the issue of diversity and tracking and gifted programs, uh, you shared a great story with me that's very relevant to today's topic. Uh, could you share that with our listeners? Sure, I'd be happy to, Lainey. Um, Rockville Center um, was a diverse district, and, and one of the things that we found was that because of tracks and gifted programs, our, cl- our school may have been integrated, but our classrooms were, in fact, segregated. And so one of the things that they did at the elementary level was they moved from a model of a segregated gifted program where kids were pulled out to one where gifted services were given to all children um, using a uh, model that was developed by Joseph Renzulli, uh, the father of gifted education. And, you know, even after it was around for a long time, it was still somewhat controversial. And one evening, our superintendent, Dr. Bill Johnson, who has been a great leader of this movement, went to a PTA meeting in the most affluent school in the district. And one of the parents challenged him and said, well, I don't understand why we can't have a separate program for our gifted children. And Dr. Johnson paused And he looked at the parents in the room, and he said, Would anyone here in the room who does not have a child with gifts or talents raise their hand? (laughs) Well, as you might imagine, Lainey, is, of course, nobody raised their hands. And the point was made. All children have gifts and talents, and the best systems come up with ways to bring those gifts and talents out. So now I'd like to bring in our guest who's uh, here with us in the studio, Shino Tanakawa. She's a parent leader um, in a former president of the Community Education Council in District 2, which makes up most of downtown and midtown Manhattan. She's also a longtime friend. Um, she's a member, <clears throat> excuse me, of the school diversity advisory group that came out with these new proposals. Shino, can you give us some background information on segregation in New York City schools, how you got involved in this issue and appointed to the advisory group? Well, good morning. Thank you so much for having me this morning. Um, I have to start with just a quick 9-11 tribute. Um, I actually didn't think it would be so emotional, but thinking back, it's really an emotional day. But also, one of the things that I remember from that 
tragic incident is the fact that we united. We came together. And that kind of unity, I hope we can find in our hearts to bring that unity around this school segregation issue. So I have to be hopeful. Um, and also, before I go into the details of the school segregation, I have to take this opportunity, since you mentioned privacy, uh, public school parents can now opt out of having their contact information shared with the charter schools, and you can stop receiving recruitment materials from charter schools. So you should definitely contact your parent coordinator if you're interested in having your name removed from this list. So on to the school diversity issues. Um, in 2014, UCLA Civil Rights Project released a report that looked at school segregation nationwide. New York State was named one of the worst segregated public school systems in the nation. And it's New York State, the whole state, but New York City makes up about half of the New York State school population. So that segregation is largely driven by our schools in New York City. And there have been maps produced of where these schools are, where students are attending schools with less than 10% white students. And there are also schools that are in Chinatown that have you know, 90% or more Asian students. And those are also labeled as segregated. And there's a lot to be said on that part of it. But the fact remains that our black and Latinx students are segregated into particular schools and particular neighborhoods, and they don't necessarily have access to all the schools that they should have access to. So this has been an issue for a long, long time, since 1954, actually prior to 1954. And this report really was a wake-up call to many of us who have been doing public school advocacy work to start to look at school segregation as one of the root causes of the problems in public education that we've been talking about for a long time. So skip forward to 19, uh, I'm sorry, 2016, um, June of that year, or maybe it was 2017, I'm sorry, I have to look up the dates a little more carefully. But June, I believe it was, it was 2017, when the mayor released um, school diversity report or plan. In that plan, the mayor called for the creation of a school diversity advisory group, and December of that year, that group was put together. The group has education experts, policymakers, community-based organizations, um, advocacy organizations around community services and public education, immigrant services, and parents, because some of us made sure that parents were represented. And we have been meeting on a regular basis for since December of 2017. And one of the things that I think it's important for everybody today to remember is that we have the first report that we released in February of 2019. That report, which is more than 100 pages, and I don't expect everybody to read it, but we cannot look at that report and the report that we just released in August as two separate documents. They are two parts of one big recommendation document. What that means is that there are a lot of people who are saying, well, you have to put more resources into schools. You have to reduce class size. Yes, we recognize that, and some of those recommendations are in the first report. 
not class size. <laughs> well, campaign for fiscal equity, right? We do make that recommendation that we have to step up our efforts to fight for campaign for fiscal equity funding. That's the first step in reducing class size. And the first report was framed in the five R's of integration developed by a student group called Integrate NYC. So I want to quickly review the five R's because that will put the whole proposal, both the volume one and volume two, into the proper context. So the five R's are race in enrollment. That's really about how we admit students into schools. Representation. That means who is teaching our students. The teachers should reflect the diversity of the city. We do have a teaching uh, workforce right now that is predominantly white teachers, and that has to change. We also talk about relationships, and that's really relationships between teachers and students, among students, among teachers, but it also gets to the bottom of culturally responsive, sustaining education, the CRSC that the PEP just approved the definition of. So that is the third R. And then we talk about resources because we cannot ignore the money part of this whole thing. And the fifth one is restorative justice. The disciplinary practices that are predominantly, uh, that are discriminatory against our black and brown students. So those are the five R's that really grounded our recommendations. Now we released the second report that talks about race in enrollment because the first report really looked at resources and the other four R's but didn't go deeply into race in enrollment. And we we call it race in enrollment, but it's not just about race. It's about socioeconomics. It's about students with disabilities. It's about multi-language learners, students in temporary housing, um, LGBTQ students, every types of students. Every school should reflect the diversity of the entirety of the student population. That's really the basis of our, our recommendations. So the second report we touched on gifted and talented programs, middle school admissions, and high school admissions. Now, we all know that there's been a lot of debate over the gifted and talented recommendations. So I should probably start with saying, we are recommending, in a way, expanding the gifted and talented program to more students, but not by segregating those students, the system labels gifted and talented. And I think, Carol, your story about the parents not raising hands about, yeah, my kid's not talented or gifted, right? right? We firmly believe every child has a gift and a talent or multiple of both. And this system right now is labeling kids gifted and talented based on a standardized test given to four-year-olds. That is how we are defining who is gifted and talented and who is not. And if you think that is a good system in identifying gifts and talents of our children, I think we have a lot of internal reflecting to do. Can I step in for a second? Yes. Because I, I think the research clearly shows that uh, testing kids as young as four for gifted uh, abilities um, has no basis at all in the research. 
And what it does, it selects for kids whose parents have either paid for tutoring programs or just get more um, um, substantial input at home to bring up their, um, their abilities on a standardized test. And in general, standardized tests, the use of them for high-stakes purposes does have a segregating effect on schools. Um, but I want to be a bit of a, a devil's advocate here because I looked at um, the percentage of kids in separate gifted and talented programs in New York City. And despite the fact that there's been so much controversy about this and um, talk by, by the press and others that this would blow up the entire system if we eliminated separate gifted classes, there are only um, about 4% of kids in gifted, separate gifted classes in elementary school. So I think that um, the controversy is overblown, first of all. It's true that a lot of those parents are very active and very vocal, but I'm not sure exactly how much that would improve integration in our schools, given that it's a very small percentage. So can you speak to that? Yes. So we are talking about a small percentage of students if you just look at the gifted and talented programs right now. But what we are recommending is expanding it system-wide, right? And also what we're saying is let's remove the label. Mm -hmm. What we're proposing to eliminate is the label. What we want to maintain is accelerated learning for more students because the label is necessarily too narrow and the identification process we use, the standardized test at four-year-old, is not accurately identifying gifts and talents. Get rid of that system. Identify the talents and gifts in every child and create a program that provides accelerated learning to every child in her or his area of gifts and talents. So we are talking about 100% of our students when we're talking about transform the GNT, we're talking about expanding opportunities that are only available to 4% of the population to every single student in the system. And we're proposing to do that not by segregating those students into separate tracks or separate programs, but really looking at individual students' strength and tailoring instruction to meet the needs of that student. If I could just jump in for a moment, and um, first of all, I 100% agree with you, and I'm so thrilled that you're taking the courageous stand that you're taking. You know, when you give a label of gifted and talented to 4% of all New York City students, you are sending a profound message to 96% of the rest of the students. What you're saying is, you know what, you're not gifted and you're not talented. And then when you get the racial stratification on that label that we see no matter what kind of tracking system you use, you're really doing um, a lot of students, especially our disadvantaged students, um, a a terrible disservice. And I I think there's another part of it too, Lainey, that even in those schools that have that pull-out gifted class, what's happening is that that classroom is also pulling out from all of the other classrooms the high-achieving students. And that becomes problematic because we know from research that kids also learn from each other and that peer effects have a profound effect. So there is a ripple effect through the school when there is an elite classroom that is nested in the school. 
So, yeah, I agree completely. And the research on tracking is very strong that um, pulling out those advanced kids does not do them any great benefit, but it really hurts the struggling kids. Um, but another point, um, Shino and I wrote an op-ed a couple months ago for the Daily News, and um, in that op-ed we supported the notion that kids should not be segregated either to, by race or by academic ability, certainly not at the age of four, um, but that it is a challenge sometimes for teachers to teach with a wide range of abilities, especially with the large class sizes we have in New York City. And that I think we both agreed that to make this work to the extent that it should work, so that all kids are challenged, all kids have their needs met wherever they are, it really would be a huge advantage and really help the system work to everybody's benefit if at the same time um, New York City did something to start reducing the class sizes that we have in our elementary and middle schools especially. And I just wanted to tell a quick story which is about Finland which has among the highest achievement of any place in the world. And this only happened in the 1970s or the 80s when um, the Finnish government looked at the research and said, we really want to stop tracking in elementary schools. This is not serving our kids well. And so they went to the National Teachers Union and they said, we want to stop tracking in the elementary schools. And the teachers union said, that's fine with us, but you have to reduce class sizes at the same time to make sure that we can reach all the students no matter what their level of achievement. And the government said yes. And then a few years later, they came back and said, we want to stop tracking in the middle schools. And the union said the same thing, and they reduced class sizes in the middle schools, and then it happened at the high school level. And that combination, stopping tracking and reducing class size, I think is an incredibly strong um, uh, you know, um, influence, positive influence to the achievement of all kids. And that's what we're still waiting to see here in New York City. And I completely agree. I think small class size is something that we all have to get behind right now because integration cannot wait. We can't wait to do this until our classes are small, but we actually need to elevate class size as a really high priority issue for this integration to work. So I think right now we're going to take a short break. Um, we'll be back soon with Tiffany Torres and Alex Rodriguez, who are two high school students in New York City from a, this terrific group called Teens Take Charge. And they have their own um, points to make about how this report actually wasn't strong enough. We'd also like our, vi our listeners to call in. Uh, the number is 212-209-2877. That's 212 2092877 and we'll be back in a few. Thanks a lot. Drop the coin right into the slot. You gotta hear something that's really hot. With the one you love, you make it romance. All day long you've been wanting to dance. Feeling the music from head to toe.
Hi, you're listening to WBAI Radio. Uh, this is Talk Out of School. Um, I'm Leonie Hameson of Class Size Matters. And I'm Carol Burris from the Network for Public Education. This is our first show. We hope listeners are in, um, learning something, and we hope you'll come back uh, next week. We've been joined by Shino Tanakawa, a public school parent and a member of the School Diversity Advisory Group, who just explained to us how and why they came up with their recommendations on how to increase integration in New York City schools. We'd now like to bring in Alex Rodriguez and Tiffany Torres. These are two high school students, members of Teen Takes Charge. Alex is a student at the Urban Assembly School for uh, for Law and Justice and Tiffany at Pace High School here in New York City. Are you guys here? Yeah, hello. Hi, hi. Uh, Welcome. Alex, first, can you talk a little bit about Teens Take Charge and um, why you joined that group? Yeah, um, so Teens Take Charge is a student-led nonprofit that aims to address and resolve educational disparities within New York City. Um, And I joined the group, like many other of my peers who are a part of Teens Take Charge, we're just like frustrated with um, New York City's education system in general, and we wanted to have a outlet in which we can like turn this frustration into policy change and like uh, positive reform to empower the voices of students everywhere. Um, so yeah, and and Tiffany, um, could you talk a little bit about the 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 goals of Teens Take Charge and what you thought of the School Diversity Advisory Group's recommendations? Yeah, so essentially what our goal is, is right now we're pushing for our enrollment equity plan, which calls for academic diversity thresholds to be implemented in all high schools across the city. And I can go a little bit more into that later, like specific policy, or Alex can if he's on the policy team. Um, Right now that's one of our our main goals that we're pushing for. And I'm sorry, what was the other question? What did you think of the recommendations of the School Diversity Advisory Group? Okay. Okay. we're generally very supportive and um, excited of the progressiveness of the policies of the SDAG report that just came out, especially when it comes to the changes that were recommended for K-8 through schools, like eliminating gifted and talented programs. And we are in full support of those middle school and or just generally the K-8 through recommendations. Um, however, in regards to the high school recommendations, we as an advocacy organization and what we've been pushing for, I feel that the recommendations for high schools were not enough. And we're just hoping to that through our advocacy and through continuing the pushes that we've been making throughout the years and pretty recently that we can get recommendations that are more radical on the high school level. So, Shino, one thing we didn't really talk about was the middle school recommendations, which were to change the admission process at middle schools to stop academic screening, which has a lot of the same impact, um, maybe even more profound than the gifted programs. Uh, But it didn't really have the same recommendations for high schools. And can you explain a little bit about that? So one of the challenges... um, doing this work as a group of 40 plus people is that we are we all share the same principles and values but we could not come to a consensus decision on what the best approach is for high school many members supported teens take charge proposal 
Some members weren't sure if that was the right approach. Some members wanted to actually run the model and see what the result might be if we did what Teens Take Charge proposed. And unfortunately, we didn't have time for that. And there are various other models that I think it would be good to explore, like the New York City Department of Education already had the education option model of admission. If we implemented that citywide, what would our schools look like? So those are all questions we had that we just didn't have the time or the resources to answer. Can you and, explain what the ed option looks like? Right. So educational option admission is um, based on the bell curve of students. So a school would admit students based on ELA, seventh grade ELA test scores, but it's not tied to the individual test scores, meaning 16% of the students who will be admitted will have scored in level one, 16% in level four, and levels two and three students make up the rest, 68%. So the intent of this model is to create a bell curve of learners based on the ELA test score, however reliable that might be, um, but that, that was a metric that's usable and easily available. So that was a model that was introduced, I think, in the 80s, I believe, and it was very popular until we started using the screening as the more preferred, quote-unquote, during, during Bloomberg's uh, years as mayor and Chancellor Klein, they created a lot more screened high schools and programs. Mm -hmm. But I think yeah. screened admissions existed before that. I, I think District 2 actually yeah, was they, a forerunner in but that. But it wasn't as popular. Right. Okay. Alex, can you talk uh, just a little bit about what you would like to see ideally? I mean, I'm hearing that there is some support um, for the model yeah. uh, that Chino just talked about, and what other ideas might you have? Yeah, I'd, I'd first like to say um, thank you, Sheena, so much. You've been such a strong ally for Team Take Charge, and we are so appreciative of that, and, like, we support you in, in all the ways that we possibly can, and so I'd, I'd like to say that um, you've worked tremendously hard, and, and that's something that we're very thankful for at Team Take Charge. Um, thank you. Yeah, no problem. Um, and like, Team Take Charge is very kind of supportive of the the, the adopt model. We think that that's like the best way that we can ensure diverse student population at every high school. Um, and we generally think that that should be the only, like, and literally only information that should matter in the high school matching process. Um, so that that's the best way that we've been kind of like seeing things, and we also. Going back to our enrollment equity plan, one of the policies that we have been lobbying for for about a year now is um, creating academic diversity thresholds, um, which ensures that at least 25% and no more than 75% of each high school's incoming freshman class has passed the middle school state pass um, on the seventh grade level, um, even though we believe that state tests should not really um, serve as like a mark on uh, on students admitted into a school, we found that this was the best way to ensure um, diversity in pretty much all its forms when it comes to academics, um, socioeconomic class, and race. Um, and I don't want to give too much information away, but um, we are working on a little project um, which um, kind of we have our own kind of revision and our own like what we support and 
give you a little hint, um, Leonie, we included, we might have included a little something on classroom size in there, but you just have to tune in to find out. That's so encouraging to me. I'm very, very happy about that. Can I just say one quick thing? Um, Alex and Tiffany, thank you for everything you do and all your other colleagues. I just have to say, in this really dark world that we seem to find ourselves in right now, your voices give me so much hope. And when I talk to you, I feel like we're going to be okay. It's going to take a long time, but you give me so much hope and to keep going in this fight. So I want to thank you and your colleagues. Thank you so much. I, I, I feel the you. same way about um, education as in climate change. It is youth that is leading the movement towards real progressive change in this country and in the world. So I can't, I can't praise this group enough. What they've done is amazing and, and other uh, 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 student leaders in the city. Uh, we have some um, people on the line now. Not yet. <laughs> we did have some people on the line. So um, I just wanted to um, then um, ask you, Tiffany, as a high school student, um, what your experience of high school is like in what I, I believe is a most uh, mostly segregated school and, and how that affects your education on a more personal level. Yeah, so I attend a school that's majority black and Hispanic students. Um, I think there's a larger percentage of Hispanic students than any other demographic in the school. But despite that, like, I think specifically speaking to the, like, the education I receive in the classroom and how Eurocentric it is, um, despite us all mainly being students of color, I have never learned about... Um, Latin America or anything about the Dominican Republic, which is where my family is from. And I recently watched a movie where I learned more about my history in one, in one hour and one and a half hours than I did the entire three years that I've been in the school. And I think it really speaks to how, um, despite us being the majority of the system and despite the representation that we do have within the system, there's still a lack of acceptance for that, or at least a lack of um, kind of like respect for the role that we do hold in a society where we are continuing to be, are continuing to be placed in situations where um, we're not receiving enough. So, yeah, I think one of the good moves this administration has made is to talk about the need to bring in culturally relevant curriculum into the schools. I guess there's a question about how much that has actually happened, but clearly yeah. it needs to happen more. And I'm sure we'll be having a show about that issue in uh, future shows. At this point, um, there is someone on the line who would like to ask a question or express a concern. So could we have that caller? Can you introduce yourself? Hello? Yes, go ahead. Oh, yeah, hi. Uh, I'm calling, actually, um, and full disclosure, I worked with Lainey and, and Shino on a parent group on school governance years ago. But uh, I'm calling uh, to say that I, I fully agree with the definition that Shino gave of uh, how the now are called gifted and talented programs ought to be redesigned 
and not test in the fourth grade and not, and have accelerated learning programs in every school. It's a great idea, and um, I'm completely for it. But I just wanted to reference the earlier discussion this year about reducing um, school segregation that pertain to the specialized high schools and say that I'm kind of surprised. I mean, the, it's the, disgraceful that science, uh, Stuyvesant High School has admits seven blacks out of 895 admittance. But the argument is, oh, well, there's a state law that mandates that specialized high school test but it doesn't mandate it for the for five of the eight specialized high schools that were established later in the Bloomberg administration. And I don't understand why the city has shied away from changing the admission requirements for the schools that are not covered by the state law in order to uh, desegregate the accelerated high schools. So, Sheena, was this one of the proposals that the advisory group uh, talked about, either the overall specialized high school admissions process or the five schools? Um, this is Richard Barr on the line, who mentions that it's totally under the mayor's control to change those admissions processes tomorrow if he wanted to. We certainly had discussions about this topic. Um, if I remember right, and I hope Maya Wiley is not going to kill me for saying this, we made a decision not to include specialized high schools in our proposal because it was not our proposal. ESTAG was not involved in the development of that particular proposal. And we knew that touching on gifted and talented would give us a plenty of materials that we have to promote and defend and we didn't want to have specialized high school on top of that. So just so that we can focus our recommendations on gifted and talented middle school and the rest of the high schools and not get mixed up in the highly controversial specialized high schools, we made the decision not to include that part. So, uh, listeners, uh, you can call in at 212-209-2877. Uh, we want to hear from you about your thoughts on this very important issue. Um, we have another caller, uh, WBAI. Uh, you're on the air. Thank What's you your name? My call. I'm turning the radio off. Okay. How that's are you? Good. What's your okay. name and where are you um, calling from? I'm calling from uh, Long Island. Hello? Yes, go ahead, please. Okay. I'm calling for from Long Island, and specifically, I'm calling on the Uniondale Free School District. Uh, in regards to, I have basically two questions. The first question, then I'd like to make a brief statement. The number of students per class, you said that class size would have to be reduced. So what, are, what is the uh, limit for students in a class? So the union contractual limit is 25 in kindergarten, 32 in grades first through fifth, uh, about 31 in middle school, and 34 in high school, though there are a lot of schools that uh, break that limit. Um, our averages are around 25, 26. However, we had more than 330,000 kids 
uh, last fall in classes of 30 or more. So uh, the union limits, by the way, have not changed in 50 years. We're going to be talking more about class size next week. We'd really like to focus on the diversity and integration okay, issue right now. Do you have a question or a comment yes, on that? in regards that? to diversity and ethnicity. In regards to uh, tests that are given that uh, would establish whether a child is gifted or not, uh, would you consider the tests that are given as where the parents had the option of opting out, that is the student had the option of opting out, would you consider that as being somewhat biased in those that who actually uh, create the tests are looking from a different uh, perspective when it comes to uh, various communities uh, of, of different ethnicities. And for those who are, for example, if one has a young student entering kindergarten who's able to read at level one, no numbers, and basically is functioning at a grade level one uh, uh, position, they are held back because there are no classes that are specifically geared towards helping students of said uh, uh, status. They would be held in their normal, in a normal first grade uh, kindergarten class, whereupon I look at it as depriving that student of one year of progress, which means when he, he or she does get to the first grade, they're going to be missing the advancement uh, that they could have had had they been in some type of special uh, uh, educational uh, class, even yeah, if they were pulled out we, for yeah, what is yeah, it? Yeah, we get, if I, could, we get if, I could, if I could just jump in and uh, maybe, maybe share some of my experiences as an educator with you. Um, there are ways to differentiate instruction in a kindergarten class and a first grade class. Um, and most classes, whether I'm not sure about Uniondale, but certainly in its neighbor. Uh, school district Rockville Center, there is differentiation within the class itself. There are different reading groups where in good reading models, kids will sometimes be choosing uh, what it is that they want to read. They will sometimes be in small groups at their reading level, and then sometimes there will be whole class instruction. So there are ways to um, accommodate children of different levels within the same class without necessarily creating gifted classes. And you mentioned May a child. May I just make a comment? Sure. I'm not speaking from an area of non-experience. I'm speaking of an area from an area in which I have been in a classroom and classrooms. Okay. Teachers, and I know you have teachers who work extremely hard, and they have teaching assistants, assistants who do also work extremely hard. So but thank you. But when you have a class of 25 and 26 kids, and they're at different levels, going to different groups. At that age level, number one, in order to get and maintain their attention as they travel from group to group within the class, it's somewhat 
to their disadvantage. Why? Because it takes the time to refocus them, to gain their focus. Right. So, so I think we all agree is, here that class size does make a huge difference to teachers and to students, and that in order for these uh, proposals to be fully successful and reap the full benefits for all kids, we really do need smaller classes as well. Um, we have another listener on the line. Um, you are live uh, on WBAI. Would you like to introduce yourself and and um, express your concern or your question? Sure. My name is Russell. I'm up in White Plains. And uh, I entered Stuyvesant in 71, and Heck Calandra was passed the next year. And I noticed right away the diversity of Stuyvesant went down. It's a terrible law. My son... Uh, graduated in 2003, and by that time, Stuyvesant was so bad, I, w- I would have counseled him against going there. And unfortunately, the, the, the young lady, the principal of the year, kind of dodged the question about de Blasio's 7% from every junior high school solution for these specialized schools. I think it's a great idea. So I'd like to really know what her opinion is of de Blasio's plan to combat residential segregation, and also, could Heck Calandra be repealed, and I'll, I'll listen off the air. Thank you very much. Thank you. Yeah, I'd be happy to address it, and I didn't dodge the question. I wasn't asked the question, but I, I think that de Blasio's plan of the 7% from the middle schools is an excellent idea. Um, I, I think that there are lots and lots of ways that we can start to phase in a better system um, for Stuyvesant High School. Um, and uh, I fully agree with you. I, there's not one thing you said that I disagree with. So we have another listener um, on the line, uh, WBAI. You're on the air. Can you introduce yourself and say where you're calling from? I'm from Queens, New York. My name is Kasha, and I'm calling in reference to the cultural diversity and the segregation of students and trying to bridge that gap. Um and I just want to bring light to the new law that was passed June 13th that repealed the religious exemptions for vaccinations. And, you know, by doing so, this is going to create an even larger, um, uh, you know, gap between or, or create even more segregation. Um, and, and I just I'm just very curious as to you know, why more has not been done um, when when there is this effort to bridge that gap. Um, so that's a whole other issue, the issue sure of vaccination, is. and we're not sure getting is. into that today. I'm not clear what the connection is with segregation. I know there's strong because, feelings oh, on there's, both because sides. Because there's this entire group of people because of their religious beliefs that are that these children are now being segregated, okay. and they are not allowed So this is an issue that we may address in a future show. Uh, thank you for listening in. Um, we have another caller on the line. Uh, WBAI, you're on the air. Uh, could you say your name and where you're calling from? Yes, hi. Um, my name is Imani, and I'm calling from New York City. Great. Mm-hmm. So what's your yes. question or concern about so, diversity okay. in specific? So I am a retired New York City school teacher, African-American. Yes. And should I go on? And yes, so please. What I would like to say is that, um, well, I'm a second-generation teacher. My mother was a teacher. 
And one of the things that I um, have noticed in um, having my part of my experience with interviewing teachers to, and to be principals in the city of New York, and one of the things I noticed is that white teachers with C averages are the most passionate about were the most passionate about about excluding students of color from gifted classes and after school clubs based on grades. And so I would just um, give the idea that perhaps we need to look more closely at the teachers that we that we hire in the system. Yeah, well, Shino has a comment on that. Go ahead, Shino. So in our first report, we talk about teachers and representation of teachers and administrators in schools. And along those mm -hmm. lines, we would like the city to partner with institutions of higher education, teacher training yeah. programs, to really start to dismantle the implicit um, biases that exist in everybody in our society and train the next generation of teachers without if possible, or with minimum implicit biases. So that's going to be our last caller. Uh, we hope you will join us next Wednesday when I'll be talking to Wendy Lecker of the Education Law Center about the lawsuit filed by nine parents in Class Size Matters against the state and the city on the failure to reduce class size. And if you like the show, don't forget to sign up online as a BAI buddy for Talk Out of School. And thank you, everyone, for listening in. Deliver me from the days of old.